Please do turn with me this morning to Genesis and chapter 12. And our text is the second part of verse 3. This is a promise, a promise which is for all eternity, and it is for everyone here today. Let me read verse 2 and verse 3 together. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. A promise to Abraham, who has left his family, a family of idol worshippers, and he's obeyed the call of God, and he's gone and he's going to go to another country. And the Lord gives him a promise of eternal, heavenly blessing. Abraham will be the one through whom the Lord Jesus Christ will be born. The first Adam fell. Adam fell into sin, so did Eve. The first family was made before the fall. This is very important. Marriage, the family, were made by God, devised, organized, and implemented before there was any sin in the world. Marriage was God's plan. The family is God's plan. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't conceived to deal with the problems of sin. No, God put Adam and Eve together before there was any sin. This is a vital point. Verse 3, I will bless them that bless thee. Adam, his marriage is broken because sin came from Eve and Adam. You know what happened before very long. The first murder brings a broken family, a broken marriage, and there was sin entered in. But through Abraham, there will be a seed. There will be a new family. This family won't be subject to the problems that our families have. No, this family will be the family of God the family whose head is Christ, not Adam, not even Abraham, but the family of whom we are called to this day is Christ's family. Well, that's just an overview. I want to speak about God's plan for families. We have many families here today. I don't want to offend or hurt anybody today, if you don't have the blessing currently to be in a family, my prayer is for you that you will know that. But we speak today of families, small families, marriages, and the family of the Church of Christ, which is part of that enormous family, what we call the victorious, the international church, of Christ in all generations, whose head is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We finished our series in John 17, and it's been laid upon my heart to speak this week and maybe others about the family. What does God say about family? And so our first heading this morning, if you want to take notes, is this. The centrality of family and marriage in God's plan. It's very interesting. The Bible begins with a marriage, Adam and Eve. We shall look at it. And it ends with a marriage, the marriage supper of the Lamb. That day when Christ's bride, that's every single Christian, every born-again believer, I'm not talking about nominal believers, people that go to church once a month, people that have a Bible on the shelf collecting dust, but somebody that really has repented of their sin, somebody that's confessed their sin, and they've had a broken heart, They've wept over their sin and they've come to Christ saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a Christian, not somebody that's born in a Christian country, not somebody that has something over their door at home, but somebody that knows Jesus Christ as a living, vital, active relationship that wants to worship God as often as they possibly can. Those people one day will be the bride of Christ. And there, Christ, who's the husband? There will be a marriage. And those two will be joined together inseparably forever. So the Bible begins and ends with a marriage. The picture of marriage runs like a cable throughout the whole of the Word of God. Christ speaks in the Old Testament. He speaks about a treacherous wife. He speaks about a wife that's disobeyed. That's nothing to do with women. This is speaking to all of us. It's picture language saying, I have loved you. I've loved you with my whole life and yet you've left me. Christ, who one day would give his life sacrificially for his church, he would lay down his life. Husbands, this morning, have you laid down your life for your wife and for your family? Christ did. That's the picture. That's the target. Not selfishness. Not doing what pleases you, not doing what you want, but have you laid your life down? Have you said, I come second? Christ has. Christ gave his life for his church. That's the picture all the way through. Well, let's show the centrality. Go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. Let's just turn to a few verses to prove this point. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female. They're equal, 
Don't believe the lie that says man is superior to women and that the church has taught that. No, it hasn't. We are all equal in God's sight, male and female. Created he them in the image of God. We are to have a likeness to God. Verse 28, And God blessed them and said unto them, these two, they're given their instructions, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, they're told to go and tend the garden. They're told to go and tame the world. They're given instructions what they are to do. They're to care for the garden. They are to tame the wilderness. And this is to be their mandate. They're to go out into the world, both of them. They have duties to follow. They're a new creation. God has specifically given them the instruction to go out into the world, to be fruitful, productive, replenish, to have children, and to subdue, to control, to organize, to have government over the earth. Well, God wants to provide a seed. He wants to provide a seed that can be the one through whom the Saviour would come. We don't need to turn to it, but Genesis 8 to 10, he makes provision for a righteous seed. The first two, they fell. Now the seed is corrupted. Adam and Eve, their children will have a sinful nature. But one day, there will be a righteous seed. God is going to raise up this seed. There will be a godly line and an ungodly line. It's through the godly line that Abraham will come. And it's specifically through his family that that seed, the righteous seed, will be preserved. This is God's plan. And family is central to it. Out of this nation will come a salvation that all the nations of the earth will be blessed by. That's how he determined that he will do it. And when the promised Saviour came, Christ, he could just have appeared. A grown man could have appeared on the earth. But he chose to do it through a family. To have an earthly mother and father. He didn't need to. But God wanted his own son to be in a family, to be subject to parents. He wanted Christ to experience everything that you and I experience. Heartache, pain, affliction, illness, broken hearts. Christ went through all these experiences yet without sin. But he had a greater purpose for the family. Yes, there was Adam and Eve, and then Abraham's family, and David and Christ, and Mary and Joseph, but there's an even greater family. The family that Christ 
would be the father of. He would raise up this strange family, the family that would know him as their heavenly father, the family that would look to him for guidance, for help, for strength in time of need, the one that he promises to care for, to nurture, to support, to guide, to be their shepherd. He would be the head of this family. He defined it to be an eternal family. Oh yes, marriages, they should be lifelong. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 28. He says there that God blessed them and unto them be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion. God is going to bless this family. There will be great blessings. Why did he make family? Because God knew that mankind would be lonely, solitary. We would feel the darkness of the night. We would feel the difficulty of the day. And we needed a companion. And he put us in families so that we could experience all those things in a lifelong, hopefully, covenant relationship with each other. He promises to bless the family. Psalm 68, verse 6. God sets the solitary in families. You say, I don't have a family. I don't have anyone that cares for me. I live alone. Well, let the church be your family. Like every other family, we're not a perfect family. We try to do our best. We try to draw alongside the lonely, the solitary, those that have a heavy burden being single parents. We will do better. But the Lord places us the solitary in families. It's his design. There is no family in the world when you don't know Christ, but there is family when you know Christ and you will come and have him. Well, God's central plan for the family is to make one which is entirely suited for the other. Why is family and marriage about a man and a woman, not two men, not two women, not a throuplet, as I've heard, a redefinition of a family to include three adults? No. God said a man and a woman are to be together because they're complementary. The one isn't above the other. One has a duty to the other. The first man, the first woman, they met each other's needs. And that's what we should do. We should meet the spiritual needs, the physical needs, the emotional needs. Do you do that in your family where you can? Are you following God's guidelines, the centrality? Oh, I could say so much more. My second heading. The family is under attack. Verse 
I don't have to prove this to you. The statistics are overwhelming. The narrative of the family today in this country is not good. We see it in Sunday school. We see it in our own lives. We see it on the streets, in the schools. Broken lives. Why? Because Satan is destroying families, marriages, relationships. It's deliberate, it's planned, it's orchestrated, it's organized, and you know, you and I could unwittingly be moving to the rhythm that Satan wants us to move to. We could be following his plan, and we don't know it. We could be following his strategies, and we're unaware of it. Satan hates marriage. He hates family. He hates parents loving children and husbands loving wives. Are you aware of this? This attack is not new. Do you know the first temptation is one of those sins? It's a compound sin, but it was a sin that divided the husband and the wife. So that Satan whispered in the ear of Eve, hath God said, would you believe God? Would you listen to your husband or would you listen to me? And would you go with your passions and lusts and desires and go with the eye and the ear? It was a sin that meant that marriage was damaged. But let's come right up to date. November 1971. I'm going to read you something that's, to my ear, astonishing. It's an old problem, the attack on marriage. But November 1971, there was a declaration of feminism. And this is what it writes. Marriage has existed chiefly, my word, for the benefit of men. It is a legally sanctioned method of control over women. We must work to destroy it. The end of the institution of marriage is a necessary condition for the liberation of women. Therefore, it is important to encourage women to leave their husbands and not to live individually with men. All history must be rewritten in terms of the oppression of women. We must go back to the ancient female religions like witchcraft. 1971, 52 years since, that campaign that didn't really start then, it started in the Garden of Eden, has been relentless. You look at the statistics from 1972 to 2022, and the number of marriages broken, divorces, children going into care, it's been a disaster. 
The family is under attack as never before. Why? Because Satan hates marriage. You teachers, you're having to deal with it at school every day. You're having to deal with the aftermath of that 1971 manifesto which has been so successful. Do you know, Satan wants to create a mangled gospel and a church that's impotent and powerless where marriage and family are not strong. He doesn't want wives caring for their children. He doesn't want children obeying their parents. The devil is on a mission and he is hell-belt on destroying the church. You could call it that he's in the family and marriage destroying business. Sometimes you see those signs. Demolition going ahead. You used to have those big weights on a ball and they would smash it into a building and the destruction would be immediate. That's what's happening with the family. I'm not exaggerating. This is the plain evidence. Will it get into your marriage and family? Will you allow Satan to come in? What about governments? What can they do? They can do very little. They can come up with a new law, but only the family knows what goes on, most of it behind closed doors, only the family knows the secret sins. Only the parents can guide the children and warn them and help them. Isn't that true? What can governments do? The church, we can do a lot. But the family is the one that guards the soul. Church, family, state. What came first? Family. In the way it was implemented, church, eternally conceived, God had a plan for the church before creation because he knew that Adam and Eve would fall and that marriage would be damaged. And then government, what about that? That came way later to try unsuccessfully most of the time to suppress evil and to hold it down. Oh no, the fall of man came after marriage. Marriage came before the fall and salvation and the church and the plan for the seed before time even began. Our third heading. What's God's plan and purpose then for marriage and for the family? Well, the first subheading is that we are to be image bearers. That's what God intended. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female. I didn't decide gender, and neither do you. God determined your gender. He created male and female in his image. You can't have designer gender. You can't have 
multiple agendas. There's only two genders, and we are to be image bearers. What does that mean? It means somehow I am to display some of the attributes of God. I'm to display his love in the family and in marriage. I'm to seek joy and peace because God is the very definition of joy and peace. I'm to have wisdom. I'm to shine into the family the wisdom of God as a parent. I'm to guide my children, shepherd their souls, show them what's right and what's wrong, because God does that for me. And as a parent, I'm to reflect that. I'm to be the very image of God. I don't have all wisdom, but the wisdom that God gives me, I show it to the rising generation. I'm to be an image bearer. Are you? Or is your life a made-up image? The sort that you want instead of the sort that God defined with all the characteristics that we can communicate to our children to show them justice, what's right, to show them transparency, openness, all the qualities that surely God would have us to shine and to show we are to be image bearers. Secondly, we're to conduct government for God. Did you note that? We go into the family circle, we go into the work space, we're going into schools, we're going into every aspect of the life, and we're to show the government that God would have. Righteous, fair, kind, loving. That's what God called us to. To have dominion. That's what it means. It doesn't mean to tame the tigers. It means to have dominion, to have God's government and wisdom and fairness over every aspect of life, over every creature, over every child, over everyone that needs God's government. Secondly, image bearers and to conduct government. The third point, we are, with God's help, to produce and to raise a godly heritage. Psalm 78. We read it earlier. Let's turn to this psalm. Just read a few verses from it. Read them again for our learning and instruction. Psalm 78. So it says here, verse 2, there will be a parable. What does it mean? There will be a parable, verse 3, which we've heard and known, and it was handed down from our fathers. Verse 4, we will not hide from them, the children, the rising generation. We will show them the praises of the Lord that we're to be thankful, will show him his strength and his wonderful works that he's done. That's what we're doing as parents. We're teaching our children. We're trying to raise a generation that fears God, that thanks God, that loves God, 
that wants to walk in his ways. That's what Psalm 78 says. Turn to Psalm 127. Just look at a few verses here before we draw our thinking to a conclusion. Psalm 127. We read verses 3 to 5. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord. We give thanks for new life, for children added to parents, families. Lo, children are an heritage, a blessing, a legacy, an inheritance of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth, Verse 5, happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Children, what a blessing children are. Children, this morning, do you obey your parents? Only obey them if they tell you what's right. If there's a parent that tells you to lie, don't do it. If there's a parent that tells you to steal, don't do it. But, for the most part, children are to obey their parents. Children are a blessing. What God has said is that parents are to raise these children. Let me say something about the family circle. What happens when there's sin? How do we deal with sin in the camp? Sin in the family? Somebody's covering something up on the screen, looking at things they shouldn't be, and it's exposed. Parents, we deal with sin in the same way as we do in our own life. We uncover it, we encourage the confession of sin to the one that it's ultimately against, God. And then we encourage to leave the sinful ways and to repent. And you know, as parents, we model that. If children don't see forgiveness between a mother and a father, how are they going to go before God and seek forgiveness for their sin? If you live with sin in your marriage, in your home, children will live with sin. But it should not be. The fourth point, we are to display and promote the gospel with our lives when children and neighbours see God-given, sacrificial, selfish, selfless love within the family circle, hospitality, kindness. What a witness that is. Every marriage. Imagine if we were hospitable. We had people into the home and they saw us pray together. They saw us shepherd our children kindly and lovingly. What a testimony that would be. We would be modelling Christ before others. Shouldn't that be the way that we live? So we've thought of the 
centrality of marriage and family. We've thought about the great attack of Satan and we thought very briefly of God's plan and purpose for the family. As we close this morning, remember Joshua's words. Joshua 24 and verse 15. Who will you choose to serve today? Oh, there's a sense that we can't choose. Only if we have a life in Christ. Only if we have a new heart. But if you do, can you say with me today, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May we put the Lord first in marriage, in home. Even if you have a difficult home life, put the Lord first in everything. The Lord will bless as he promised to bless Abraham. In Abraham, I will bless thee and all the nations of the earth and every family will have a blessing. How? Through Christ. Through the one that showed us how to live out relationships and ultimately through his church. Him as the husband, us as the bride. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him, serve him today, and love him. Let's close this morning. Singing our